Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. When I used to play basketball, if a guy was on my team and he was, say, shooting 9 out of 10, making 9 out of 10 shots, we would say, that man is on fire. we got to give him the ball so that our team can win. Now, on the other hand, if a player was 1 for 10, we would tell him, dude, you're broke, man. Stop shooting. It ain't your day. Pass the ball and let somebody else shoot so we don't lose. Well, the same is true in other sports. In football, a quarterback who's one for 10 passing the ball would be at risk for being benched. And in baseball, a batter who is one for 10 would be described as being in a slump. Well, I'd like to show you a story in the scriptures today in which being one out of 10, it's actually a good thing. But first, let's ask the Lord to help us understand His Word and apply it to our lives. Would you join me as I begin our time in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, which is the final authority of faith and practice for all believers. Would you please help us by Your Spirit to understand it, to take it seriously, and how we should apply it to our lives. We dedicate this time to You, In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. If you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to go to our website, to the sermons page on our website, and print off a PDF worksheet to this uh, home Bible study lesson so that you can follow along and take notes and organize your thoughts. Uh, I also want to encourage you to have your Bible open in front of you uh, so that you're not taking my word for what this says, but rather seeing it for yourself in His word. And so with that, if you would follow along with me as I read uh, the first uh, few verses of well, Luke 17, and I'm going to read verses 11 to 13. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. All right, here's number one on your outline. The first thing that this story about the ten lepers tells us is that Man's need for God is inconceivably real. Man's need for God is inconceivably real. This is a popular story, and it's often brought up or talked about around Thanksgiving time. In fact, there's a lot of children's videos that have been made about it, but I want to really unpack this story for you and, and give you some of the important background information on it so that you can see how really special and significant it is. Now, notice in the text it says that he was met by ten lepers. These were men who had leprosy. It was a horrible skin disease that progressively disfigures its victims. 
Not only was it painful and incurable back then in Jesus' day, it also made the victim ceremonially unclean and a social outcast. The general public thought it was highly contagious when in fact it wasn't. For this reason, lepers were required to maintain 50 paces of space between themselves and healthy people in order to prevent contamination. In addition to this, any time a leper walked through a crowd or entered an establishment, they were required to shout, unclean, unclean, in order to protect those they came in contact with. Now, what's important for us to understand is that Leprosy was a life-altering, life-restricting handicap. A person with leprosy could not work. They, they could not get married, have a family, go to church, or have any type of social contact. I mean, in 2020, it might be like having to announce that you have an incurable strain of COVID-19 whenever you go out in public. It would obviously be extremely humiliating and inconvenient. And thankfully today, leprosy is curable and now an extremely rare disease. Now notice in your Bibles, if you would, in verse 13, they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What's interesting to note here is that the lepers don't immediately ask for healing. It could be that they'd given up hope of that ever happening. It could be that they just wanted to know that Jesus cared because everyone else in the village was afraid to care. But regardless, here's what I think these lepers represent in the text. And, and they were real people, and this is a real story. But I think the ten lepers are an illustration and a reminder of man's desperate need for God. They are a sobering reminder that we are all, all of us, just one tragic diagnosis away from seeing how desperately we need the Lord in our life. However, wouldn't it be better if we realized our dependence before something like that has to happen? I think so. And this is why I took some time this week to survey the scriptures to to just look for everyday things that we need God to provide that most of us are not even aware of. And this was eye-opening for me, what I'm going to share here, so I hope it'll do the same for you. So as you see on your uh, outline, here's five things we depend on God for every day. Uh, letter A is this, we need Him to provide for our needs. We need Him to provide for our needs. In Psalm 50, the Lord makes this very clear when he says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. And if I were hungry, the Lord says, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And so, so notice what the Lord's saying is, I don't ever get hungry and I don't have to ask anybody for food because I own everything. It is all mine. I can help myself. It means that our pets, our homes, our vehicles, and everything that we have belong to the Lord. And this is why Christ followers are called stewards of everything they have instead of owners. 
If you don't believe this, I should warn you to not be like the man I counseled and pray with, prayed with several years ago who pridefully built a, a business from the ground up and was doing very well financially, only to lose it all, everything, through a series of events beyond his control that led to his bankruptcy. That dear man admitted on that day that he had failed to put the Lord first in his life, and he believed that was the reason God took everything away from him. It was an eye-opening experience. Uh, here's letter B. The second thing that we depend on the Lord for every day, and that is that we need him to make the rain fall and the sun to rise. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, for example, uh, Jesus said, it is his Father in heaven who makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. And this is what theologians call common grace. It, it means that these are things the Lord provides for both believers and unbelievers out of the kindness of his heart. Thus, if the Lord sends rain to water your crops, your garden, your yard, you should thank Him. Or if, I guess in Bakersfield here in a desert climate, if you have water to run through your sprinkler system to water your yard, you should still thank Him for the water. Or if, if you see a beautiful sunset when you're taking pictures, you should thank Him. Because things like this are from our Father in heaven, according to Jesus. Uh, let her see, we need the Lord to help us sleep at night and to awaken each morning. In Psalm 3, King David records a prayer to, to the Lord uh, while on the run from his son Absalom, who had forcefully taken over the throne of Israel. And so in Psalm 3, this is a very stressful and sad time in David's life. However, he says in Psalm 3, verse 5, I lay down and I slept, and I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Did you hear that humility? David is saying that if we were able to sleep last night, we should thank the Lord. And if we weren't able to sleep, that means we were probably anxious, which is something the Lord doesn't want us to be because anxiety is the opposite of trusting in Him, or... You know, secondly, if we weren't able to sleep last night, it may mean we have some physiological problem we need to see our doctor for. But generally speaking, those who are able to sleep at night should thank the Lord for making it possible to do so and for making it possible to wake up the next morning. Letter D, we need, we need the Lord to give us breath. We need the Lord to give us breath. Job realized this after the Lord allowed Satan to take away his wealth, his health, and his family. I could, I could tell you from personal experience that when God puts his thumb on your life and decides to discipline you and take you through a rough season, you will learn things about yourself and the Lord that you could have never seen before. And one of the things that Job learned he records for us in Job 34. And that's where Job says, If the Lord set his heart to it and he could gather back to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would die and man would return to dust. 
So we need the Lord more than we realize. Next, uh, here's the fifth thing I found in the scriptures, letter E. The fifth thing that we need the Lord for every day, and that is we need him to approve our plans. In Proverbs 19.21, Solomon writes, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So in other words, there's nothing that we do that doesn't first have to pass through God's sovereign hand. I was just reminded of this earlier today while watching the Indiana versus Ohio State football game on TV. One of my daughters asked me, Dad, do you like Indiana University? To which I replied, oh, yeah. And she was probably asking because we used to live in Indiana, but I actually, I told her, I actually wanted to go to school there. When I was a senior in high school, I applied to Indiana University, but my application was rejected. Now, the rest of the story is that God was closing a door, and that led me to the University of Iowa, where I came to faith in Christ, and I met my future wife. But having grown up in Illinois, it was the equivalent of the Lord saying, Go west, young man. Now, to be clear, I think the Scriptures encourage us to plan, and there are Proverbs that talk about that, but they also encourage us to hold our plans with an open hand. This is why James says in James 4 that to speak with certainty about our future is arrogant. Instead, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James 4, 15. Well, let's pause the video for just a moment, and I'd like you to discuss this question. Or if you're by yourself, to think about this question. And it's this, what other things do we depend on God for? I'd like you to write them down on your handout and share them with the person or people that you're watching this video with. Uh, take a moment and do that, and then I'll be right back. Well, I'm sure you came up with some great additional ideas. The five that I listed a minute ago are just the beginning. Uh, there's a lot more that I didn't mention. But let's look back at the text again in Luke 17. I'm going to read verse 14, where it says, after these uh, uh, lepers came and, excuse me, they said to Jesus, shout out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Here's what happened. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Here's number two on your outline. The second truth that I think this story uh, teaches us about the Lord. And that is that obedient faith is something the Lord generously rewards. Obedient faith is something the Lord generously rewards. In verse 14, you see it there in your Bible, how it says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, why did Jesus say that? Well, he said it because in the Old Testament law book of Leviticus, God had given the authority of diagnosing leprosy or certifying a healing to the Jewish priests. That's in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, if you want to read more about that. Therefore, if a priest declared a leper as now clean, 
that leper could be restored to the community and have a normal life. Now, what's even more interesting is the second half of verse 14. You see it there in your Bible. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, these six words can easily be overlooked. As they went, they were cleansed. But these six words are also shouting a biblical truth that we can see throughout the scriptures. And it's this, simply stated, obedience is the greatest expression of faith. Now, why, you might be asking. Because it requires us to put feet to our faith, to use the old cliche, It forces us to do more than giving lip service about trusting God, and instead it makes us show that we trust Him. Or uh, to use the other idiom that's popular in our day, it forces us to put our money where our mouth is. Now, Jesus proclaimed point number two on your outline earlier in Luke 11 when He said this, Blessed. Rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So, obedient faith is something the Lord generously rewards. Well, let's look back at the text one last time, and I'm going to read verses 15 to 19. Now, it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go. Go your way, for your faith has made you well. Here's number three on your outline. The third truth, and this is one that I think says a lot about us. Something this story reveals about us, and it's this. Thankfulness to God is remarkably rare. Thankfulness to God is remarkably rare. Now, besides the fact that Jesus' power and authority were so great that he was able to heal without touching or being near anyone, besides that, which is pretty impressive, there are two additional things in these closing verses that I think are quite profound. The first is the response of the one leper. We're told that when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and praising God with a loud voice, he went and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Now, at first glance, this may seem impressive, but maybe not mind-blowing. However, let's take a moment and compare the one leper to the nine. So, So, for example, the... Nine lepers, you'll see, they forgot they even had a disease. But the one leper, he remembered how horrible his life was with the disease. 
The nine, they used Jesus to relieve their suffering, whereas the one used his suffering to get to Jesus. And the nine sadly loved the gift more than the giver, whereas the one leper, he loved the giver more than the gift. Now, this shows us that gratitude has nothing to do with how much we have, but rather who we have. In other words, if we have an intimate walk with Jesus Christ, everything that goes along with that will make it much easier for us to be thankful. Now, there's a second profound thing in these final verses, and that is where this single leper is from. We're told that he was a Samaritan. Now, there's a reason why Luke mentions the ethnic background of this thankful leper. Samaritans were descendants of a small group of Israelites who had intermarried with pagans from other Gentile lands. Ethnically, they were seen as half-breeds. Spiritually, the Jews considered them apostate mutts. Samaritans believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, but rejected the rest while mixing in elements from other pagan religions. The Samaritans also obstructed the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile back in Nehemiah chapter 6. And as a neighboring country and rival to Israel, they also liked to harbor outlaws on the run from Israeli authorities, which just added more fuel to the fire for their hatred, the hatred that existed between these two peoples. In fact, in John chapter 8, a group of flabbergasted Jews who had lost a debate with Jesus, they insulted him by saying, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. It's like, bam, bam, double insult. The bottom line is this, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other for centuries. Thus, a Samaritan would have been the last person on earth expected to demonstrate genuine faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is why in verse 18 of your Bible there, Jesus in essence says, is no one except this foreigner going to return and give God glory? Meaning, the Jewish lepers who were healed should be thanking me at my feet right now as well. Where did they go? Now, let's, let's pause the video one last time, and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question. Why are we not as thankful as we should be, or as often as we should be? Talk about that for a couple of minutes, and I'll be right back.
I think there may be a few different ways to answer this question, but I think one of the biggest reasons we aren't more thankful is that we think too highly of ourselves and we think too lowly of God. I mean, if we really realized how sinful and selfish and fragile and dependent on God we really are, then the Lord in our eyes would become greater and more merciful and more generous than we currently think He is. You know, I read something the other day in a book that I have that I found to be really insightful and convicting. And those of you that have listened to me for a while, well, you know that if something convicts me, I always feel compelled to share it with you so we can be convicted together. Now, I don't know who wrote this short little statement on thankfulness. Otherwise, I would give them credit. But here's, here's what this person said. I'm thankful when my wife says tonight is leftover night because it means she is home with me instead of out with someone else. I'm thankful for the teenagers who complain about doing their chores because it means they are home safe instead of out on the streets. I'm thankful, writes this person, for the taxes I pay because it means that I'm employed. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too tight because it means I had more than enough to eat. I'm thankful, uh, this person writes, for a lawn that needs to be mowed, a house that needs cleaning, and a garage that needs to be cleaned out because... It means I have a home. I'm thankful for our government because it means we still have freedom of speech and our leaders still recognize Thanksgiving as a holiday. I'm thankful as well for the piles of laundry and ironing I have to wade through because it means I have clothes to wear. And... I'm thankful for the lady who sits behind me in church and sings off key because it reminds me I can hear. And by the way, I didn't write that. This is, it's what this other guy wrote. And finally, he writes, I'm thankful for the alarm that wakes me up in the morning because it means that I'm alive. Well, I hope that list of things to be thankful for um, spurs your thinking or stimulates your thinking to come up with some of your own things to be thankful for and to thank the Lord for this coming week. Before I let you go, I just have to ask, are you 9 out of 10 or are you 1 out of 10? Because according to Luke 17, being one out of ten is much better. 
I hope you have a blessed and safe Thanksgiving week. My family and I are thankful for you because you are a blessing. And until next time, keep walking with and trusting the Lord because he loves you and he has good planned for you. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.